again, we'll be reading a passage from John chapter 14, beginning in verse 18 today, and thinking about the role of the Holy Spirit. We've been in this passage, and we, we really broke the passage down the first week, and then we kind of used it as a basis for looking for other parts of the, the work of the Holy Spirit throughout Scripture, and that's kind of what we're doing again today before we move into John chapter 15 and begin talking about what our union with Christ really means. You know, it's sad that we live in a day in the Bible Belt where really being a Christian is something that we more or less just say, and in many cases not something that we really are. We, we can talk a good talk, but not always do we walk what we profess and what we talk about. And sadly, a lot of times we only talk about it on Sunday morning. We come together in church and we gather around and we've got all the jargon down and all the, all the terminology and we carry our Bible that one day a week and we, we, we can look fairly religious. But sometimes that's all we are is just religious. And if you read the Gospels, one of the things that you understand very quickly is that Jesus hated just religious. He really had a problem with that when he, when he saw the Pharisees and he said, you know, you're, you're trying to follow every jot and tittle of the law. I mean, you're trying to really do this thing externally just right, but your heart is not changed. And when there's no change of heart, then there's no real life. It's just an external religion. A lot of people have external religion. A lot of people do a lot of external things that they think, you know, makes, you know, we, we, look, at the, we look at Islam and we say with Islam, well, they, they are so external. They do five prayers a day and they, they feel like they have to do those prayers. They don't do them exactly right. And so they are, they are notorious for five times a day when the prayer call goes out. They fall on their faces and pray and we say, oh, look at that. There are a lot of people who are just, they're, they're not quite as, Caught up in it is five days, five times a day, but you know, once a week, they'll gladly get up and go to church and sit there and smile and, and then dart as soon as they can when the service is over, and that's about it. Their religion is not a, their religion is not a whole lot more heartfelt or more deep than, than the Islamic guy is or woman is. Jesus in these passages, this final discourse that he's dealing with here. As he's preparing his disciples for the cross, for his death on the cross, is trying so desperately to get them to understand that Christianity is not just another religion. Christianity is a life. A life that has been given by Jesus Christ Himself, by the power of His Holy Spirit, a life that is empowered by His presence within that life every single day. It's not a matter of just going to church every now and then. It's not a matter of just saying, Oh, I raised my hand, I walked an aisle, I got baptized, whatever you want to fill in the blank with. But it's a matter of being heartfelt. A matter of Him literally invading your life with His presence. And that's what Jesus wanted to understand when He's trying to prepare them here in the latter part of chapter 14. Hear the word of the Lord as we think about this a little bit. I will not leave you as orphans, but I will come to you. 
After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. And that day, you will know that I am in in my Father and you in me and I in you. That is is such a poignant verse. In that day, a, a day that is yet to come, a day that has not yet happened, a day that will transpire after the resurrection of Christ, and indeed after his ascension, it will become even more obvious. In that day, you will know that I am in the Father, that I am in you, and you are in me. In that day, you will know that union that he's going to talk about in John 15, and you'll know it as a reality. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you're not going to disclose yourself, that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? And Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and he will come to him and and, and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. They're just words. He who does not know me, he who does not love me and know me, will not, does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. Now these things I've spoken to you while abiding with you, while living here among you, with you, three years. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and will bring you remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give to you, but, and do not let your heart be troubled, nor let it be fearful or afraid. You heard that I said to you, I go away, and I will come to you. If you love me, you would have rejoiced because I go to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. Now I have told you before it happens, so that when it does happen, you will believe. I will not speak much more with you, for the ruler of the world is coming, and he has nothing in me but so that the world may know that I love the Father. I do exactly what the Father commands, commanded me. Get up. Let us go from here. Jesus is pouring truth into these disciples and and ultimately into you and me because we're reading his words now after the the Holy Spirit has inspired the text and written the text through men, through, in this case, John, the Apostle John. And we're reading that and we're understanding. Jesus is saying to us, listen, there is an intimacy in this relationship that must be understood. It's beyond a set of do's and don'ts. It's beyond a set of rules. It's, it's beyond a set of, of morality. You know, we, we don't just say, we believe in God and we'll try to be good. That's not Christianity. Christianity has changed life. Christianity is is a call, as Peter called, uh, quoting Leviticus, which was quoted just a moment ago, uh, when Peter says, listen, as the Holy One, 
your Father is holy, so you are to be holy. It's a call to holiness in the life of the believer. It's a struggle. Paul said in Romans chapter 7, he said, listen, I, I struggle with sin still. I'm in Christ. I know I'm in Christ. I have a relationship with Christ. I'm an apostle to the Gentiles. I preach. I plant churches. I do all these things. You know, there's still a struggle within me. I find myself struggling with sin. It's not eradicated, but I hate it. The trouble with too many Christians today is they, they have sin. They don't struggle with sin. They don't hate sin. They're perfectly happy in it. They say, I'm a Christian, but I'm, I'm living in a, in a completely sinful experience, whether it's at work or, or whatever. Paul says when the Holy Spirit indwells us, and understand by his very name there's an implication there of what his work will be in the life of the believer. When the Holy Spirit indwells us, as Jesus has gone to the Father and has sent the Holy Spirit to indwell us, that that Spirit is doing a work in us to bring about holiness, to, to bring about obedience to Christ. Not in a legalistic sense, but in a joy-filled sense what he's talking about here. Last week, we talked about the Holy Spirit's work sort of apart from us. We talked about how his primary work is to glorify Christ and to teach us about Christ. So the Holy Spirit opens our eyes as we read his word and we, we understand things about Christ that we would not understand just reading words on a page. The Holy Spirit enlightens our thinking, enlightens our mind to see the truth of God's word. It glorifies Christ. I made the point. Anytime you're in a group and all they want to talk about is the Holy Spirit, and Jesus never mentioned, that's not the Holy Spirit at work. Because the Holy Spirit decreases and increases Jesus. The Holy Spirit decreases so that Christ may be exalted. And, and may that always be our case around here, that the one we talk the most about is Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, the one who became a sacrifice, became a substitute in our place. And when the Spirit is at work, that's what will happen. Jesus will be exalted and lifted up talked about how the Holy Spirit draws people to Christ. No one can come to the Father unless the Spirit draws him, unless the Father draws him by the Holy Spirit. And that's his work, to draw us to Christ for salvation, to draw us to Christ for sanctification, to draw us in a closer relationship with him in every respect. And by reproducing Christ's character in us. We talked about that a little bit, looking at, at Galatians chapter 5 and the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering, you know, self-control, those things that, that are the really just the characteristics of Christ that the Holy Spirit builds in our life. Today we want to talk about what the Holy Spirit does in us, in you and me, who are claiming to be believers, who say that we know Christ, we who say we really do have a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ. What does the Holy Spirit do to us? Well, one of the things, I'm not going to go into a lot of depth on that, but, but is that he gives gifts. He gives spiritual gifts. We could spend days talking about that. Spiritual gifts are just spiritual uh, enablings, spiritual uh, uh, powers, spiritual, uh, if you will, activity to do ministry. And he gives every true believer spiritual gifts. Paul makes that clear in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, in Ephesians chapter 4, and other places. He said, Christ has given, the Holy Spirit has given gifts. God and the Father have sent the Spirit. Jesus and the Father have sent the Spirit. And the Spirit is giving gifts to those. I remember back in the 
80s or so, in that time, there was a big movement to understand spiritual gifts. And they had all sorts of tests and all sorts of inventories you could take to see what your spiritual gift was, and you graded them, worked them out. I don't use those much, any, really. There's nothing wrong with them, I suppose, but, you know, you can, you can kind of slant those the way you want them to go. I had a guy in my church in Florida took spiritual inventory gifts all the time and always came out with the spiritual gift of teaching. I've used him as an example before here. And we'd give him a class because he was convinced his spiritual gift was teaching. We'd give him a class, and the class would start out with 20 people, and before you know it, it'd be him and his wife. Be it. He said, well, it's just those people. So we'd give him another class. He'd take another class, and, and, and so finally we just said, well, if you have a gift of teaching, go start a class. And it never grew past him and his wife, usually. Well, if, if you're not being used by the Holy Spirit to teach, you don't have the gift of teaching. Now, this guy had a great gift of administration, but he didn't want to do that. He wanted to teach. Spiritual gifts typically just manifest themselves as you get involved in ministry, whether it's to teach someone, whether it's to show mercy to someone, whether it's to service and carry out kind deeds to one another. You know, that the, the spiritual gifts just kind of begin to manifest themselves, not as you stand back from the body, but as you get involved in the body. I almost packed the pulpit there. As you get involved with the body, those spiritual gifts start manifesting themselves and showing themselves you don't need a test for that. You just need to be obedient to Christ. But the thing I want us to think about today most clearly is that the Holy Spirit is at work within the life of the believer and what he's doing. His main purpose in your life and my life is to produce holiness. He is the Holy Spirit. He is the one who comes from a holy God, a God who is totally other than us, who is holy in all his perfection, and he is holy in a way that we never will be holy on this earth. I want you to understand that. But that does not mean that that is not to be our pursuit, that is not to be our desire, that is not to be what we really want in this life, is to be like Christ, to be molded in the, in the image of Christ, to be shaped in the image of Christ in this life. And that's the work of the Holy Spirit within your life. He's to shape you. He's to make you what God has called you to be. But, but this idea of holiness, quite honestly, it's a word that we don't talk a lot about, do we? We may talk about the Holy Spirit. We may talk about the Holy Bible. We may talk about holiness as a group of, of Christians who, in one sense, think they are perfect, and so they're off over there by themselves, and they're they're just living in what they perceive to be absolute perfection. We say, well, that's a holiness church, and we don't want to have anything to do with a holiness church, you know. But holiness is really something the Scripture talks a lot about, not external from us, but internal to us. Matter of fact, there are several things. I remember J.F. Packer reminded me of this several years ago in a little book he wrote that I mentioned last week in Step with the Spirit. And he talks about just sort of remembrances about holiness in our life. And, and the first thing he said was, you got to remember that holiness was God's purpose for all of his people when he planned salvation. When he planned salvation before the beginning of the, the world was ever created, before the foundation of the world, when he planned salvation for your life and for you to come to Christ, holiness is what he had in mind for your life. Paul made that clear in Ephesians 1.4. He said, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? So that we can just kind of sit around and be religious? No, because that we should be holy 
and blameless before Him. Now I realize that holy and blameless before Him carries with it first and foremost having the imputed righteousness of Christ. His, his righteousness added to our account. His righteousness being, being given to us as a legal transaction and, and we are holy before Him because He sees us clothed, as it were, in the righteousness of Christ. That's good. But it's not, just, it's not just imputed righteousness, but it is practical righteousness, practical holiness that is also to be a part of our life. That which he puts in is to be worked out. That's why Paul said the Philippians, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's, it's work out what God has put in. Let it be visible. Let it be seen. Not in a holier-than-thou attitude. It's not a self-righteousness. It's not a self-holiness. But it's a holiness that comes about because the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is at work in your life. Another thing to remember is this. Remember that holiness was Christ's purpose for all of us when He died for us. It was Christ's purpose for going to the cross was to make us holy. You say, oh, no, no, no. His purpose for going to the cross was so I could get into heaven. Folks, that's just a byproduct. It's not the, it's not the main product. It's not the main idea. I, I mean, it makes it clear in Ephesians 5. Paul says, listen, uh, husbands love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and he gave himself for her, that is the church, that he might sanctify her. Sanctify is a word that says that he might make her holy, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. When Jesus went to the cross, he went to the cross with the purpose of making you holy. You you may be a lot like me. You may think, boy, he's still got a lot of work to do. And he does. But he doesn't give up. That's why he sends the Holy Spirit. He sends the Holy Spirit. It's God's purpose for all of his people when he planned their salvation. It's Christ's purpose when he went to the cross and died for us. And, and we need to remember also, thirdly, that it was for holiness that we were raised in, to life in Christ. We go through the baptismal waters. We talk about the symbolism. We die to self. We're buried in a watery grave. We're raised to a newness of life. That life is to be a life of holiness. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are his workmanship. We sang that song, the potter's hands being in the pot God being the potter shaping us working with us we are his workmanship we are created in Christ Jesus why for good works we don't do good works to get in Christ we are in Christ and that results in good works prepared beforehand which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them we were raised to life in Christ that we might walk in holiness that we might sense His presence, that we might know His presence. And that He might direct us in the ministry as He would have us to go. That's what the good works are. Those are works of ministry within the body and, with, and outside of the body of Christ, the church. Acts of ministry to one another and acts of ministry to the world. God called you, created you that you might do that and those are acts of holiness. Fourth thing, remember also that the gospel 
The gospel itself, that Christ died for our sins, was raised on the third day and ascended into heaven, that he paid the price that we could not pay effectively for our own sins. Remember that the gospel that calls us to Christ also summons us to holiness. In the letter to Titus, chapter 2, it says, For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to men, instructing us. Here's what, here's what the gospel instructs us to do. Here's what the grace of God instructs us to do. Deny ungodliness. Hmm. De- deny ungodliness. What is ungodliness? Ungodliness is anything that is opposed to the character of God. Ungodliness is anything in our life that that does not reflect the truth of the gospel, reflect the character of God, the character of Christ. This is what the grace of God came to us and instructed us to deny ungodliness and deny worldly desires. Worldly desires. Those are those seducing temptations that Satan would use to pull us astray. Those are those seducing temptations to live in a way that's contrary to the gospel. Instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and to live sensibly. I love that. You know, if you you look at the story of the prodigal son in in the gospels, when, when the son went away and asked for his inheritance and he went away and he lived and and he, he lived in riotous living and partying all the time and, and wasted and squandered everything that he had in his inheritance. And he found himself a good Jewish boy working in, in a pig farm. And he was there in the pig sty and they were, he was feeding the pigs. And he got the thing and said, you know, my, man, these, in my father's house, even the servants are better off than I am. And I love the way the gospel writer puts it. He says, and when he came to his senses... And the gospel calls us to live sensibly, to come to our senses, to see the glory of God and the glory of Christ, and to submit to the Holy Spirit every day, to live sensibly, to live righteously and godly in the present age. A lot of Christians, a lot of professing Christians, I think are sitting around saying, well, I'll I'll live godly in the next age. (laughs) Not in the presence of Christ, then I'll really be godly. When I get in the presence of Christ, I'll, I'll really be perfect then. Not unless there's a progression taking place in your life now, according to Scripture. Because that's the Holy Spirit's purpose. Remember also that holiness is another name for the life of deliverance from sin, which is in itself a part of salvation. Holiness is just a name for the Christian life. In Scripture, in Matthew 1.21, Matthew says that Jesus is coming and He will save His people from their sins. Not to stay in their sins. He will not save His people so that one day they can go to heaven, but they'll not be changed here. But there's a change that takes place, and that's the work of the Holy Spirit. The writer of Hebrews makes it clear That holiness is a requirement for heaven and for eternal life. He says, without holiness, without holiness, no one will see God. He's not saying that you'll have a balcony seat in heaven. 
and you won't even be able to see him. That's not what he's saying. Without holiness, there'll be no standing in his presence. Without holiness, there is no heaven. There is no eternal life. Holiness is what makes for the joy of fellowship with God that the unholy will miss. Those who are in Christ, who are walking in holiness, who are desiring holiness, who have the Holy Spirit calling the holiness on a regular basis, convicting of sin and bringing about repentance and confession, it makes joy with fellowship, joy of fellowship with God a reality. You know, if you come to church and say, oh, it's just so boring, He's saying that same stuff all over again, you know, it's just boring, then there's no joy of fellowship with the Father. Oh, we're singing songs I don't even know, and they're hard. I can't sing that one, or I don't like that one, or only you know that's that's. Man, I can I can go worship God with with Gregorian chants, or with hymns, or with spiritual songs, or with new hymns that have been written to the glory of Christ. Doesn't matter. My my joy and fellowship is not wrapped up in style. It's in Him. But when there's no growth in holiness, you know, Psalm 15, 1 and 2 says, O Lord, who may abide in your tent? Who may dwell on your holy hill? It is He who walks with integrity, and that word is another word for holiness, and works righteousness, another word for holiness, and speaks truth in His heart or her heart. joy of fellowship with God, the joy of worship comes out of a heart that is pursuing and desiring holiness that the Holy Spirit is at work within. Finally, I want you to see that holiness really is the only way of life that is natural and really fulfilling to anyone who's born again. It's the only way of life that's natural, holiness, righteousness. It's the only way of life that is natural and fulfilling to anybody who has truly been born again, who has truly, truly come to Christ. Why is that? It's because the Holy Spirit dwells within. And when sin enters a life and sin is involved in, the Holy Spirit doesn't just sit back and say, well, I hope they'll get this thing together. The Holy Spirit goes to work. The Holy Spirit convicts, is the religious word we use. The Holy Spirit brings conviction of sin and says, that's not right. That's disobedient to Christ. That's disobedient to God's word. That's not what Christ teaches. And you're living in it. You're, you're, you're doing that. That's not right. That happens to me just about every day. Conviction. Because that's not the natural way of life for a person who's been born again. The Holy Spirit is not a passive observer in a believer's life. The Holy Spirit is an active change agent, changer within the life of everyone who's been born again in Christ. Paul, uh, the writer of Hebrews dealt with that in depth in Hebrews chapter 12. He said, and have you forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord. That's the work of the Holy Spirit, disciplining, chastening. 
Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved by Him. For those whom the Lord loves, He disciplines. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. Those whom He loves, He disciplines. Your sins, you no longer pay the punishment for your sin. Christ bore that on the cross. But He disciplines those whom He loves. And he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? What child is there whom a father doesn't discipline? Earthly fathers may not do it perfectly. I'm sure you've been back and asked my three children, uh, did I discipline them perfectly? And did they always think my discipline was the right discipline? I'm sure they would quickly say to you, no, I mean, he blew it several times, maybe hundreds of times, maybe, well, we won't go any further than that. But our Heavenly Father disciplines perfectly by the power of His Holy Spirit. But if you are without discipline, listen to this, if you are without discipline, if the Spirit's not bringing conviction, if the Spirit's not bringing discipline in your life, if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children. You're not sons. You don't belong to the family. Furthermore, we had earthly fathers to discipline us, and we respected them. Shall we not much rather be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time, as seemed best to them, but He disciplines us for our absolute good, that we may share His holiness. That's why the Holy Spirit convicts. That's why the Holy Spirit disciplines. That's why God is at work in your life actively, not passively, working to shape you and mold you because He wants you to share in His holiness. All discipline for the moment seems not to be joyful, but sorrowful. Yet those who have been trained by it afterwards, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness Therefore, strengthen the hands that are weak and the knees that are feeble and make straight paths for your feet so that the limb which is lame may not be put out of joint but rather be healed. Pursue peace with all men and sanctification or holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It's the natural thing for the believer's life. You know the scripture indicates we can resist the Holy Spirit. We can grieve the Holy Spirit without a lot of detail, without a lot of expounding the words, which we don't have to do to understand that, it means resisting His conviction. We resist Him, we grieve Him when we resist His work in our life. You see, John says in 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we are believers, we will be confessing our sins. And He'll be cleansing us from those sins. He will be changing our life on a progressive, continuing basis. I love that. We confess our sins. Since we confess our sins, as believers, we confess our sins. And confess just means to agree with Him. It's not going to a priest. It's not going to the pastor and saying, you, you know, i got to tell you all that I've done. I've got to lay this out and just vomit it everywhere. I gotta, no, it's not that at all. It's agreeing with the Holy Spirit. Confess, the Greek word homo legeo, which is a compound word, homo, meaning the same as. We understand that, the same thing. 
and laleo, or legeo, coming from laleo, which is the word for to, to say or to speak. So you put those words together, homo legeo, and you get to say the same thing. Say the same thing as who? Say the same thing as God. When conviction comes. You don't tell God about your sin. I got news for you. He already knows it. You don't say, God, you're never going to believe what I did. We want to do that, so we think we've done it in the darkness. We think we've done it so nobody else knows. That's why we don't want anybody to know about it. We'll be embarrassed by it, but, but we keep it in the darkness. But when God's Holy Spirit says, no, no, you got to understand, I already know all things. I, I read that out of Psalm 139. He knows when I rise up. He knows when I lie down. He knows when I go to sleep. He knows when I go to work. He, know, he knows everything. He knows it perfectly. And in the life of the believer, when sin enters in, the Holy Spirit says, this is sin. You can resist that by saying, I'm going to do what I want to do. Leave me alone. And he'll have to bring a greater discipline upon you. And he will to get your attention. Or you say, you know, Father, you're right. I agree with you. That is sin in my life. Take it away. Cleanse me of it. Make my life holy. Make my life one that will honor and glorify you. Make my life one that will exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. Not exalt myself, not exalt somebody else, but exalt Him. That's why the writer of Hebrews said, pursue holiness. Pursue sanctification. Desire it. Want it. Pray for it. Live it. Go to the Word. Let the Word of Christ fill your heart. The, the psalmist said, how shall a young man or a young woman keep his way pure, pure, holy? By keeping it according to God's Word. If you don't know what God's Word is, you won't keep your life according to it. If you don't have the Holy Spirit as your teacher, you won't understand how to keep your life according to it. But that's the whole purpose of the Holy Spirit within your life. That's why He sent the Helper. I'm going to go away, He said in John 14, but I'm not going to leave you like orphans. I'm not going to leave you on your own. I'm not going to leave you to try to live it yourself and work it out yourself. I'm going to send a Helper, a paraclete, some interpret it, counselor. I'm going to, I'm going to send somebody who will come alongside you and dwell within you and He will give you strength and he will teach you and he will convict you and he will lead you in righteousness for his namesake. If you're a disciple, if you belong to Christ. You say, wow, I've never had the Holy Spirit convict me of sin. Ooh, that's scary. That's dangerous then I'd say to you, you need to do an inventory. You need to do an examination. Am I truly in Christ? Or am I a Pharisee? I'll never forget the first person I tried to witness to in Somerset, Kentucky, 10 years ago. Oh, I'm a, I'm a Christian. I said, oh, really? I mean, I'd seen his life. He didn't really look like he was, but I'm a Christian. How do you know you're a Christian? He took his finger and he said, never 
never has a drop of alcohol ever touched these lips. I said, okay, okay that's fine, but how do you know you're a Christian? He said, well, that, that's how I know. I said, you are, you're a mean person. <laughs> you're, you, are, you, you, you covet. You are, you are an adulterer. you got all these things going on, and, and yet you tell me you know you're a Christian because a drop of alcohol has never touched your lips? I said, if that is the mark, which Scripture does not say is the mark, then I'm lost. And I think he probably thought I was. But the point being this, the point being this, the Spirit of God is at work in every believer to shape them into the image of Christ. Joy. Peace, patience, kindness, long-suffering. Those are the outward expressions. Inwardly, purity, obedience. Obedience out of joy. Obedience out, out, that brings pleasure. So my question to you this morning is this. What has the Holy Spirit convicted you of lately? And how have you dealt with it? And if you say you hadn't, I invite you to Christ. Not to religion. Not to some kind of man-centered morality. But to Christ. Who saves completely. Let's pray. Father, as the Holy Spirit works in our life, it can be painful. It can cause us to evaluate all sorts of things. It will cause us to evaluate all sorts of things. Our attitudes, our actions. Father, it will, it will you'll be uncomfortable. But oh, it'll be so freeing. Father, I pray this morning that your Holy Spirit works in each of our lives. Even as Matt said earlier, that we leave here different than how we came in. As your agent of holiness is at work within us to make us holy. Father, and through our lives, through our church, we pray you receive glory. For Lord, you alone are worthy of glory. Move in our hearts. Draw men and women to yourself for salvation. Father, draw us who know you into a deeper understanding of what your work is in our life. For holiness. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.